Hey fellow chasers, just a reminder before we get into the episode to please rate and review the show. Check out the chasepodcast.ca for more content. And most importantly, if you like what you hear, please share it with someone else who could use a little help on their journey. Here we go. The human genome contains approximately 3 billion base pairs, which reside in the 23 pairs of chromosomes within the nucleus of all our cells. Each chromosome contains an estimated 30,000 genes, and that's it. That's the code that makes us who we are, who we'll be. What if the path you were meant to follow was written in that code as well? If you felt your destination was preordained, would you have the courage to pursue it relentlessly, even if it was difficult? You're listening to The Chase. My dad had his own furniture store, like sort of secondhand store for 47 years. And then if I look back to his mother, um, she was uh, widowed very uh, sort of early when my dad was like 14 and she had to go out and get a bunch of jobs. And so she started up the, the local chip stand and the hockey rink. And so my dad's back there peeling potatoes. So like just having a business has been kind of in my family. That's the voice of Warren Weeks. We're talking over a couple beer in the dining room of Warren's home. And as the president and CEO of a home-based business, we're also sitting in the headquarters of Weeks Media. For Warren, entrepreneurship was a sort of birthright. It was in his DNA, inherited from his father and grandmother before him. And even from an early age, Warren knew where he wanted to direct his entrepreneurial energies. So when I was uh, five years old, my mother asked me what I wanted to be or I think I might have gone up to her, but I said, I think I, I know what I want to be. And I had it narrowed down to two occupations. I said, I either want to be a doctor or a garbage man. Those are my two, uh, my two things that I came up with. And I had no, cause I think those were the only two jobs that I knew about. Cause I had seen the garbage man go by in the truck and I'd been to the doctor. So I'm like, those seem like, and to me, they were equally cool. Um, but then, um, I don't know when it was, probably watching the news or seeing my seeing how interested my mother was in the newspaper and then I thought like I want to I want to have that kind of attention on something that I've created too. So I started making little newspapers in my house and I was probably like 5 or 6 years old. So I would I would go and find little articles from whatever newspapers I could find and I would cut them out. I'd cut out the pictures from them and I would uh, I, w- I would like take a piece of paper and put it in a typewriter. This is how old this story is. And I would type out, I would retype the stories, but not verbatim. I would like kind of put my little spin on them. So uh, I was like, I call myself the first aggregator of news, like way before HuffPo was doing it. I would kind of rehash these stories. I'd put different headlines on them. I would glue it all to the page. And then I would try to sell them to like my grandparents or whoever came over. And then um, for whatever reason though, and I don't think I ever told my parents this part, but 
and I don't even know where they would have been, but like I'm five or six years old. I create these little eight and a half by 11 newspapers on this white paper. And it occurred to me like they look too white. They look too perfect. And I wanted it to look kind of like one of those old wanted posters from the old West. So I went over to the stove and I got a chair from the kitchen and I turned on one of the elements, you know, one of those old electric spiral elements. And I was holding the thing over this element until it kind of got brown and sort of, I almost burned the house down. But um, that, so I would age them like that and then I would sell them to my grandmother for like five cents each. Warren's attraction to media and journalism wasn't just a passing interest. In high school, Warren would get his first opportunity to turn this interest into something more. So like I sold my first article to the Sioux Star when I was like in grade 10. I won some contest or something for our school and... Uh, and I got to write, I was like the teen writer for, for a year, a year or two. And I remember I wrote this, uh, this article, it was, you know, some like, some hair metal band was coming to town, some band called Reckless. And I wrote this like 200 word spiel about this band coming to town. And I remember seeing that in the paper and seeing my name on it, it was like, I was, it was indescribable high. And then um, that to me was like the payoff. And then like about a week later, a check shows up in the mailbox for like, you know, $42 or something. And like then I was like, holy shit, you can get paid for doing this? Like I was just, I just thought you just did this for free. So Warren is doing the best impression of the movie almost famous as William Miller. So does this plucky writer get the call from Rolling Stone, you know, run off with the band and go on the adventure of a lifetime? Well, not quite. The Sioux, it turns out, is a far cry from San Diego, and there was no call from Ben Fong Torres coming Warren's way. You know, if you if you think of a, an outlet, I applied to them. I applied to the CBC, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail. I applied to the Sioux Star in my hometown. I applied to, like I've got, you know, binders full of rejection letters from all these places. So if Warren wanted to live his dream of being in the media business, he was gonna have to take another path. Called the Dorchester Signpost. It's this little community in southwestern Ontario. It's like 3,000 people or so. Very cute little community. Um, they had a, a, a local paper that had gone out of business, and I guess this local sort of area guy, his name was Fred something, I forget his last name, but he came in and he bought the newspaper for one dollar and brought it out of bankruptcy, and he had some uh, government grants to pay some staff with. And so he ended up hiring an ad person and he hired me as the kind of editor, reporter, photographer. And so I worked there for like two months and I was doing like every, every, everything. I was chasing ambulances down the highway. I was writing the stories. I was laying it out probably badly because I'm not a, a designer, um, doing the photography and like developing the pictures in a dark room. Like again, I'm dating myself, but like this is like digital cameras weren't a thing at this point. And uh, it was fun, I have to say. I still have all the, uh, the issues, like in my garage, I've got all the, the, the newspapers that I did. While Warren did face his fair share of rejection, he was able to work professionally as a journalist. The town of Dorchester gives Warren his shot, and it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Isn't this the romantic view of a young journalist, you know, chasing down stories? Plus, he's getting his hands dirty. He's getting involved in all the aspects of the production, which is meaningful work. That's why he saved all those newspapers all these years. But there's one thing missing from this small town dream job, 
and that's a living wage. For the job at the newspaper, I think I was making $200 a week, and uh, I'm out of school, and I'm trying to support myself now, and I was literally spending more money than that on gas, just going back and forth covering stories. So I, if I was making $200 a week, I was probably spending about $300 a week on gas, just covering stories. So it was not a lucrative uh a lucrative thing. So I think the perfect storm occurred when, you know, I just, I, my bank account was dwindling and I had a friend who was uh, working at a, um, a government agency in Toronto in the corporate communications department that had an opening. And he said, would you be interested in that job? And so I asked him, you know, what do you do and what's it about and what are the tasks and da 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 da. And so I um, vaulted from my job as an editor one day, sort of took a half day off, drove to Toronto, did my interview, got the job. So here is the first significant shift in Warren's master plan. He leaves journalism for the world of corporate communications. Maybe the five-year-old who is willing to burn the house to the ground to make an authentic-looking newspaper would disapprove of this decision. Maybe he saw a sellout. But the adult trying to start a life and someday a family, well... That guy, he saw an opportunity. An opportunity to use the same skill set and passion for media and journalism and apply that to a career with a little more practicality. Instead of writing a newspaper, I was writing a newsletter for one client. And I was interviewing people and I was taking pictures and I was laying it out and I was getting paid a lot more. And so to me, I was deploying the same set of skills and I was living in Toronto and I was kind of on my own. And uh, I got the same sort of satisfaction out of creating this thing and doing, doing all the work that I did from the newspaper, but I was able to actually live. So that, that's kind of where, those, where that started. And a corporate communications professional is born. Maybe the movies about them are a little less romantic than Almost Famous. Maybe they're a little lighter on the Billy Crudups and heavier on the Aaron Hickerts. At the same time, I doubt Warren cared much about that. So Warren starts the corporate communications era of his career, and he does pretty well. He's good at it. Despite being confident in his skills, there was a certain amount of insecurity that dogged this young professional. Back then, I remember I would go into a meeting, in, in a, and I'd be like one of eight people in a meeting, and I remember distinctly my face getting all red and just feeling nervous and flustered that I was just in the meeting. Like, I, I was not expected to say anything. I didn't have to do anything. I wasn't taking minutes. I was just sitting there and I was like just terrified of being in a meeting and like because you know again I'm like from this small town in northern Ontario and now you're in Toronto and you can see the you know, Royal York outside your office window and just being at this table and not knowing like kind of probably thinking you don't belong there and like and that, that whole imposter syndrome and like oh my god they're gonna ex this is the meeting where I get exposed and I get sent back on the train back to uh, back to the Sioux. The idea of not belonging is pretty common. Maybe you felt it too. But maybe that nagging feeling wasn't so much a fear of not being good enough, but rather Warren's gut trying to tell him that this wasn't the right place for him. And a random elevator ride was about to help him understand why. All of these companies are owned by Omnicom, right? Everyone's heard of Omnicom. And I remember we um, they had this... Uh, this, this employee meeting where all the employees from all these different companies that were owned by Omnicom went to Dallas and we had this huge conference. I think 3,000 people were in this, this conference. 
And we were going down to hear the keynote speech that day from one of the big wigs at the company. And I'm in the elevator, and it's just me and this other guy in the elevator. It's this uh, this older gentleman, like I you know, I was probably in my twenties at the time. So this older guy, and we're having this very pleasant chat. He's a very nice guy. His name is John, and we're going down the uh, the elevator. How how how's your time been? I'm like, oh, it's been great. How about you? Oh, la da da. And so we go down to the room, and he is the guy giving the talk. And then as we're in the talk, someone says, oh, that's the chairman of Omnicom. And uh, they said, oh, by the way, I think he made $43 million last year. And it occurred to me, like, you know, good for you. That's great. But it occurred to me that it was on the backs of all the people in this room. And yeah, I get it. That's how capitalism works. I was just done being the guy paying for his yacht, right? So I said, I think I can do this on my own. I think I can do this as well or better on my own. And so I started crafting the dream to get out of that machine and sort of uh, try door number two and do it by myself. The sudden realization that he was a cog jolted Warren from his complacency. Perhaps it revived the dormant entrepreneurial DNA. Regardless, Warren's dream was suddenly clear. He could name it and articulate it. From that moment on, his goal was to start his own PR company. Dreams, however, don't come true overnight. Warren was going to need to put in a healthy amount of sweat equity as a down payment on this particular dream. And so I would go, every day I would go through hundreds of news releases and I would um, go and find the names of the corporate communications directors at the bottom and I would put them into an Excel spreadsheet or on little index cards and I'd have their name, their title, their company, their phone number and their email address. And I said, you know, when I'm ready, I'm going to start reaching out to these people and say, hey, you know, can you, do you want to do business with me or do you need whatever, whatever service I was going to provide? So I was putting the, the, the framework in place. I would say that it took me two full years before, from the time that I had the cogent thought of, I want to do this on my own until I actually handed a resignation letter into my boss. It was probably two years. Sharing your goals with others can be a helpful exercise. It's easy to push things off or forget about them over time. So if you've shared your goals with people, well, they have a way of asking about them or reminding you of what you've said. They keep you honest. Warren shared his goals, but the reaction wasn't always what he would have appreciated. I had a lot of people say to me, including my parents, like, you're crazy. Like, you have a great thing going here. You have a great job. You have a good salary. Like, who knows what's going to happen? And I was, I was about to get married and... You know, you're planning to have kids, and people were are concerned. And I remember the the uh, one of my mentors and one of the the boss of the the sort of smaller corporate communications firm that I was working on. We were out at a function one night, and I said to him, you know, I said you're one of the reasons that I'm doing this. Like I've seen you start your business, and I want to do. He's like, hey, don't don't blame me. Don't don't put this on me because everyone thought that I was going to flame out and just crash and burn. And so, um, but I had this really crystallized idea that I just thought. You know, because I saw, I'd worked with enough clients, I saw the need and I saw that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the smartest guy uh, in the agency or the, the tallest guy or the, well, the fastest guy, but like, I, I realized that a little bit of effort and working harder than the person beside you was all you really needed. And so um, I, I was pretty clear of the fact that if I could just get started, if I could just get one client, like that would be, I knew that would be the biggest thing, get number one and then the rest of them would just fall into place if you did all the right things. That confidence in his plan proved essential. Because finding that first client, well, that didn't need a creative approach or an innovative solution. It just needed a whole heck of a lot of perseverance. 
I would use the uh, I would use time during my you know you get like fifteen minute break in the morning one in the afternoon I would take my fifteen minute break and I would go down to a boardroom and I would I would cold call people on the phone and I'd say hey uh, hi my name is Warren Weeks and I'm a media trainer and do you need any media like think what a terrible way to get a client right like in especially in twenty eighteen but this is back in um, you know, 2003, 2002 or whatever. So, um, that's how I got my first client. I just cold called someone and she said, yeah, we're looking for media training. And I was like, holy shit. So I sent her a proposal and they accepted it. So I took a, I took a, uh, like a vacation day or sick day or whatever off work. And I went and I delivered this training session, which I had done many times before as part of my other agency. But now I'm, you know, a full-time employee at a bank. I call someone from the, the room down the hall. She says they need training. I send her the proposal. She accepts it. I go and I do the training session. And there was this really weird thing. Like it was the like the by far the funnest thing I had done in months and months and months. And then it just made me feel like alive. And I get home and I'm like, holy shit, that was that was awesome. I just I want to do that again. I want to do that as soon as I can. Even the thought of cold calling an endless list makes me a little queasy. But that high he describes, man, I think. I think that's Warren's body telling him he's found the right place. Do you feel that way after work? Okay, so client one found. Check. Should only get easier from there, right? Well, not so fast. Finding client two turned out to be a more daunting feat. Warren struggles to find that elusive second client, and he starts to get a little disillusioned in the process. While he made some good money off that first client, he's got bills to pay. And don't forget, he's living in Toronto now, where rent is a little steeper than up in the Sioux. So Warren comes up with a creative solution to kill two birds with one stone. He decides to pursue a short-term contract position. For one, it'll pay the bills. Awesome. Second, it kind of lights a fire under his ass, and it forces him to keep some momentum going in the pursuit of his dream. After all, that contract, it wasn't going to last. So he couldn't get lulled back into a sense of complacency. Warren ends up accepting a mat leave contract with Maritime Life, an insurance company. So the clock ticks and Warren stays motivated, which is good. He's going to need that. And so I would basically work two days. I would work two work days every day. I would work my workday Maritime Life and I would do my media relations work there. And then when I was done, I would go home and have dinner, and then I would work all night on creating this business and trying to, like, who am I going to pitch? Uh, sending out emails, sending out dozens and dozens and dozens of personalized, like, this is not spam, cut and paste. This is finding out who they are, what their name is, writing an email to them about their organization and finding out if there's any people we know in common and trying to give them my most compelling pitch and doing that every single day. And so the amount of rejection was like, I can't even describe, I can't, I, like, but I can think of specific people. Like there's one woman at TD Bank who I like just to this day, just just uh, shivers go up my spine. There's a guy at Shoppers Drug Mart who like, you know, dozens of interactions. And some people say, you know, persistence is the key and just keep at it. And some people are like, you know, at a certain point, you know, like just it's not going to happen. But like, there, it's funny that from years and years and years ago, there were those certain ones that just pop up in your mind. But in a way, those are the ones that kept me going because they would just piss me off enough that I would take that and harness it and just say, there's, there's going to be someone who says yes, eventually. The hard work eventually pays off. Client two comes right around the time that contract position is ending. Phew. Then comes client three and four 
and momentum starts to take over. Now jump 15 years later, Weeks Media has continued to grow and evolve. The focus is now mostly on media and interview training, but Warren continues to do corporate communications writing for some of the clients that have stuck with him over the years. He's also started to expand into public speaking, booking gigs at conferences and AGMs. Turns out that dream of his, well, it's been a lucrative one. The living room we're sitting in, it's pretty damn nice. The bowl of pretzels he put out, those are rolled golds, not that no-name shit. So that kid from the Sioux, he's done all right for himself. My revenue in year one exceeded my salary at the bank the year before, and that was my worst year. And then every year it just kind of went up. And you know, when you're a solopreneur, like I've made a point of not wanting to hire like a staff, and I'm cool with that. Like I don't believe you need to like scale and grow 30% every year and acquire. Like I'm happy doing what I'm doing, um, but. Uh, I know that the revenue that I'm generating, like as of year two and beyond, was far more than I would ever make in a role like this, like if I were to go and get a job as a communications director somewhere. I guarantee you that from 2003 to 2008, there was nobody in the, this business in Canada who's putting in more hours than me. Like just, there isn't. And like, I, I say that, like it sounds like I'm bragging, but I, I look back on that, it's kind of sad. Like I think of all the things that I missed, um, sleep deprivation and all those things, and just it just putting in sheer hours. So like I would literally work all day long. I would have dinner with my wife at the time and my kids, and the kids would go to bed, they were very young at the time, and I would literally work until two or three or sometimes four o'clock in the morning every day. Uh, I'd say like four or five days a week. Warren's strategy was to put his head down and will his dream into existence. You might think that that type of perseverance would be detrimental to his family life. And you might be right. But Warren also doesn't fit into the stereotype of the career-obsessed absentee parent. I spent, I spent a lot of time with my kids um, because I worked out of my house. So I saw my kids all the time. I would see them during the day. I would have little, you know, you'd stop and play with them in the yard or throw a ball around or have them on your knee. And so I, I saw like, you know, when I was a kid, I never saw my dad. My dad would go to work in the morning and he worked until six. He'd come home at 6.30. He worked every Saturday for 47 years and didn't take vacations. So, you know, in a way, I, I think I saw my kids more than, 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 than I saw my own dad. But at the same time, you know, if you're if you're only sleeping like three or four hours a night, how how are you functioning? Are you like are you 100% in the moment? Are you like super aware of what's going on? And I probably wasn't. Um, and you know, I ended up getting divorced years later. What percentage of that is due to that? I don't know. I don't know. But like, I'm not you know sitting here second guessing all that. I'm just like again, if I had to do it again, I would do it again. But um, I think it took a toll. And like, I'll look at I'll look at uh, family pictures back in those days, and I'll see like a like a situation or a party or whatever, and I don't remember it. But like, I took the picture. Like, I obviously was there, but I don't remember it. And it's probably because I slept like two hours that night. So, so maybe there was a toll, but Warren is adamant that he'd do it all again, no regrets. Despite his growing business, the imposter syndrome was something that was difficult to overcome. Every night, going to bed and just staring at the ceiling, like gnashing your teeth, like all the, again, the old cliches, like you would really do that. 
and then trying to give yourself the Tony Robbins uh, pep talk every night of why it's going to work and sort of half, even as you're saying it, not really believing it, but just saying it has to work. So like all the time. And I think that was like, uh, you know, I'm an introverted personality. I'm not one to kind of throw myself out there and be that. But I thought, well, if you're, if you're going to try to do this, you're going to have to get over that, right? And sort of put yourself in those uncomfortable situations and throwing your hat in the ring and introducing yourself to people and, and marketing yourself. Like that's really what this is. So um, I, was, I was probably terrified the first five years. Um, even when things were going extremely well, I always thought I'm one I'm one day away from this all just stopping. The phone will stop ringing every Christmas when everyone would go home and the clients would all go away and the phone would stop ringing. I would get like super paranoid until like literally a couple of years ago. Um, it's just one of those things that you don't get used to, I guess. Well, it never totally goes away. The terror does subside considerably. Success, as it turns out, can have a soothing effect. I've been doing this for uh, on my own for 15 and a half years now, and that's kind of a long time. I think the average lifespan of a business, like if you think of like a Fortune 500 business is like 30 years. And so I'm more than half of that and I'm just one guy. So um, I've got a, enough long-term commitments. Like every year, the number of clients has gone up to the point where um, I, I usually measure it by mouse scrolls. Like, you know, you know, you have that little scrolly mouse wheel. And so I used to have one, one client. So you didn't have to even scroll the mouse. It's like, that's your client. And now I'm at a point where it's probably about five scrolls. Like, brr, 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 and just like dozens and dozens and dozens of clients. And the phone, the phone continues to ring and projects continue to come in. And I can look on a calendar, like for media training, which is one of the things that I do. I've got a dozen media training sessions from now until the end of the year, like just they're on the calendar and you can attach a revenue to that. So, um, and you know, having a certain amount of um, capital sort of in the bank of the business account just gives you that, that ability that even if the phone didn't ring for a year, you'd be fine. The thought that nags him now, mortality. Or more aptly, the tangible pieces we leave behind when we're gone. You know, and I also had a very good friend who passed away. He was like just an amazing guy. Um, you know, great dad, great father, great coach, great mentor, funny guy. Like everyone loved him. But he was a very sort of non-social media person. He didn't create kind of content that kind of existed beyond him other than the memories of the people that mattered most to him. And I thought, you know, it would be great if, if everybody could get to meet that guy. That would be kind of a gift because I think the world would be better off if they had more of this guy, this guy Mark. If, if everyone met him or got to know him, if you could kind of take him and scale him and share him with the world, I think people are better off. And so I just I thought that, you know, if I got hit by that bus tomorrow afternoon, I kind of did a bit, bit of a Google search and like what's out there? And it's like, there's nothing because all my work is done in boardrooms and it kind of lives and dies in the boardroom. And so I wanted to, and maybe it goes back to those old journalism uh, aspirations of just creating something. And, and thankfully, we've got the tools to do that today. Like, you know, when I started out, you couldn't create, if you want to create a podcast and put, put a, a radio show on the air, you had to have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and licenses. And now you just record it and hit a button. It's a little harder than that, as we discussed. But, uh, but I just I wanted to have something that would kind of outlive me and be a little a little slice in time, these little conversations that I can look, even for myself, I can look back at decades from now and hopefully enjoy. This notion is fueling a need to create. 
Maybe somewhere inside, there's still that five-year-old who wanted to make newspapers. So Warren's latest endeavor is a podcast series entitled The Warren Week Show. In it, Warren interviews successful people from a wide range of industries, like Erica M., Brett Wilson, and Annie Duke. More than anything else, I think it's just, it, it's fun. You know, I think I, I, I'm sort of probably in the back nine of my career. Like I always pictured myself as this young guy starting out and as the gray hair is kind of filling in and you realize that, you know, I'd like to be doing this forever, but the reality is that you can. And so what could I, and, and realizing that any day or any week could be your last, then what do you want to do with it, right? I don't want to be doing TPS reports for the bank. I want to be doing something that I think is kind of fun. So Warren is going to leave something behind, a piece of him. Perhaps that's his way of passing along that birthright to his kids, of passing along that DNA. Maybe in those 30,000 genes floating around in the 23 pairs of chromosomes in every cell of our body, is at least one that drives us to create. Maybe there's a dream just waiting for you to decode and will it into existence. And maybe that's been in you all along.